Today's message was recorded live at the Middletown Seventh-day Adventist Church of Louisville, Kentucky, a safe environment where people relationships become kingdom relationships. Find us online at www.friendlychurch.com. Wow. Thank you, boys, for that wonderful song. Whoo, I repent. I leave my past behind. How many of you want to leave 2020 behind? Who? I will go on, and I am his. Amen. Amen. January 2nd. January 2nd, 2021. Today's date, right? Does it say anything to you? In light of that song, by the way, now? <laughs> First Sabbath of a new year? First Sabbath of a new decade? Well, for me, first Sabbath of January 2013 was my first Sabbath at Middletown. Almost eight years ago. So every time I cross into a new year, it's a reminder that, wow, I've been here for almost a decade. And... uh, You know, with the end of 2020, it didn't come the end of one year only. It it was the end of another decade. I didn't see that coming back in the middle of Y2K scare 20 years ago, did you? And here we are, January 2nd, 2021, the first Sabbath of a new year. First Sabbath of a new decade. I was reading my Bible early this week in my devotional and came to this council of the Apostle Paul. He's writing his letter to the Corinthian church. He's about to wrap up that letter when he says, Examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. 2 Corinthians 13, verse 5. Paul advises the Corinthian church to examine themselves and see if they are still in the faith. 400 years before Apostle Paul, Socrates made a statement that became famous as he is being tried by the Athenian courts Socrates says, an unexamined life is not worth living. Now, Paul says, examine yourself with a specific purpose to see whether you are in the faith. With with the passing of each year, Logically, we're coming closer and closer to the coming of our Lord Jesus, right? And Jesus raised this question when he was on earth. When the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? It's a good question. Now, faith means trusting or believing in something beyond my ability to check 
in control. Faith goes beyond me and my abilities. And you and I have faith in many things every day and every week. We have faith that the lightning that strikes in the storm will not strike us. We have faith that, where is Liam? Liam is probably flying. Well, he's probably somewhere uh, on a layover from a flight. He's a pilot. We have faith that the airplanes that fly over our house will keep flying, right? And not fall on our house. And if you happen to be in that flight, in that airplane, you, you, you have faith that the airplane and the, the engines, the thrust of those engines will be able to propel that airplane to reach, to, your, to reach safely to your destination. Faith is even necessary when you get in your car to go back home from here, right? Or when you go to school or work, whatever. But is this the kind of faith Paul is asking us to examine ourselves? Let's keep on reading. 2 Corinthians 13, verses 5 and 6. Paul says, examine yourself as to whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Test yourselves. How are we going to test ourselves? Keep reading. Oops. Let me move back to that slide. He says, do you not know yourselves that Jesus Christ is in you. Now, this is the test that the Apostle Paul is challenging his readers, you and I included. He says, Marius, do you believe Jesus Christ is still in you? Do you still believe that? And my question to you this morning Today is the same. This new year, 2021, as we begin to live another decade, do you believe that Jesus Christ is in you? Is Jesus living in you? And if you don't know whether Jesus is in you or not, that's okay. In this sermon series, you will learn how Jesus can live in you. If your answer is yes, you believe that Jesus is in you, my question to you is, to you is how do you know? By what means Jesus lives in you? This is the essence of this series, Free and Fruitful. Paul asks, is Jesus in you? How can Jesus be in us when he left earth and went to heaven 2,000 years ago? The answer is simple and yet profound. Only through his Holy Spirit. My sermon title today Free and Fruitful, part one of this series, The Christian Struggle. Let us bow our heads once again. Lord Jesus, Father God, 
and Holy Spirit, our helper. We ask that you will guide us, that you will be with us through your Holy Spirit as we try to learn how you can live in us. Thank you, Lord, for promising that you are with us always. And based on that promise, we open your word today. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I've been a Christian for over 35 years. In fact, I was born and raised a Christian. And if I add my childhood experience to my Christian experience, I could say that I've been a Christian for over a half of a century. <laughs> and I know from personal experience the guilt, frustration, and sadness that comes to the Christian's life when sin seems to be the rule rather than the exception. I want to present you today with a struggle, a struggle every Christian has. Today, in part one of this series, fruit, fruit, Free and Fruitful, the Christian struggle, I want to ask you this question. What comes to your mind when I read the following Bible verses? Romans 6, 6. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. Then a few verses down, Romans 6, 11 and 12. Likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey, in it, you should obey it in its lusts. And you scroll down a few more verses. Romans 6, 14, Paul says, For sin shall have no, shall have no dominion over you, for you are not under law, but under grace. Then you go to John, 1 John 3, verse 6, Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. And you've been a Christian all your life. How do you feel when you read that statement? Let's, let's scroll down three more verses, verse 9 of chapter 3 in First John, whoever has been born of God does not sin, for his seed remains in him, and he cannot sin because he has been born of God. Well, you've been baptized now for how many years? Did you sin ever since? How do you feel when you read that verse? And if you are a Christian Seventh-day Adventist and became acquainted with the writings of Ellen White, 
She's, she's a Christian writer who had an active part in the establishing of the Seventh-day Adventist Church. And we know that, we know now that she wrote more than any English writer, any more, any, uh, more than any other English writer. And, and she wrote being inspired when she wrote, divinely inspired. She never wrote anything that will contradict the Bible. No. Writing along with these Bible verses that I mentioned, she writes this. It comes from Manuscript 161. Back in 1897, she wrote this. He who has no sufficient faith in Christ that he can keep him from sinning had not the faith that will give him an entrance into the kingdom of God. Wow. She also writes in a commentary book on the parables of Jesus uh, entitled Christ Object Lessons. She writes there about these verses too. Moral perfection is required of all. Never should we lower the standard of righteousness in order to accommodate inherited or cultivated tendencies to wrongdoing. We need to understand that imperfection of character is sin. All righteous attributes of character dwell in God as perfect, harmonious, whole. And everyone who receives Christ as personal Savior is privileged to possess these attributes. As you and I read such words, discouragement sets in. And the victorious life that the Bible appeared to call... The Christian to that victorious life seems impossible to attain. And at such times, it is easy to begin reasoning and say, perhaps such statements about victory are simply an ideal that the Christian is to strive to attain. God knows it is impossible to live this kind of victorious life, and He covers us with the righteousness of Christ. After all, what else could God say? What did Satan tell his cohort of angels? How did Satan convince Eve to sin? God's law is impossible to keep, right? Whenever we think that way, to believe that we can't live like Jesus, we buy into Satan's lie and we're aligning ourselves with him. I know it's a strong statement, but that's true. Then you might ask, Pastor Marius, what is the solution here? The solution comes back to the answer of the, of the challenging question Apostle Paul is asking us. Is Jesus Christ in you? Is Jesus Christ in Pastor Marius? Jesus said, abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless... It abides in the vine, neither can you, unless 
you abide in me. My friends, my brothers and sisters, viewers on YouTube, if you want to have the fruit, if you want a victorious life over temptation and sin, the solution is having Christ in you. John McCarthy, a missionary in China, wrote a letter to J. Hudson Taylor, also a missionary in China, who was having difficulty living a victorious life even though he has been a Christian, a pastor, and a missionary for years. McCarthy wrote this in his letter to Taylor. Abiding, not striving or struggling. Looking off unto him, trusting him for present power. This is the solution to our Christian problem, to our Christian Dilemma, And he goes on to write, not striving to have faith, but looking off to the faithful one seems all we need. Resting in the loved one entirely for time and for eternity. The truth and the key to the Christian dilemma of striving to maintain a victorious life is the mystery of the believer's union with Christ. The believer, the mystery of the union between the believer and Christ. However, every Christian who discovers this glorious truth that Christ can live in us has followed a similar path. And here is how Christians, um, how Christians experience this struggle and the victory is described in the book Spirit Baptism and Abiding in Christ by Pastor Dennis Smith. And this is what happened to many Christians, including myself. They had accepted Christ as their Savior, but were burdened and bewildered by their Christian walk that was so sporadic in obedience and unfruitful in service. They longed for a consistently faithful walk with their Lord, but never found it. They struggled with besetting sins, but the sins seemed to win the battle. They prayed and studied their Bibles, but that didn't seem to bring the victory they longed for. After perhaps years of struggle, they came to the point of despair and weariness. Their sense of failure was overwhelming. The life of continual victory over sin seemed impossible to attain. Then... One day, he says, they discovered the reality of the mystery of union with Christ. Jesus living in them. And that was the tipping point. That is what makes all the difference. Jesus 
living in the Christian. Once they discovered this truth, they were amazed at how simple this marvelous truth was, yet it eluded them and their understanding for years. After this discovery, their life was never the same again. Their joy in the Lord was deep and abiding. Their life was now consistently victorious, even over besetting sins. They no longer felt burdened or anxious in their service for the Lord, and their service became the most fruitful for the Lord. That's come from Spirit Baptism and Abiding in Christ, page 11. I entitle my sermon today, The Christian Struggle, because the non-believer does not have the struggle that the Christian has. The unconverted man and woman does not have the Spirit of God, and it's only controlled by their carnal mind. The Christian on the other hand, obeys God because the Spirit of God has put the desire to obey in his heart. The born-again individual wants to carry out God's will in their life, and under the new covenant promise, the Holy Spirit begins to write God's law in their hearts and their mind. However, the new believer quickly discovers that there is another very strong desire in them. The desire to sin. Now that they have the Spirit of God, they are aware of their sinful desires, where before many of those desires didn't concern them. And there is a war within. This War is plainly described in Romans 7, verses 14 to 25 by the Apostle Paul as he actually portrays, he displays his Christian experience. Open your Bibles to Romans, Romans 7, verses 14 to 25. I want you to literally open your Bibles, to see it in your own Bible. Even if you're watching from a hotel room or from your living room. If you're in a hotel room, look for that Gideon Bible. <laughs> and uh, if you're home, you know, you look for your Bible or turn on your Bible app. Romans 7, verses 14 to 25. This is the Christian struggle, and I want you to see some things in there. It's easier when you read it, when you see it with your own eyes. Romans 7, beginning with verse 14, we know that the law is spiritual. What is spiritual? Spiritual is anything that has the Spirit of God in it. But I, says Apostle Paul, am unspiritual. We'll see what that unspiritual means in just a second. He says, I'm unspiritual, sold as a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, verse 15, for what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree that the law is good. As it is no longer I myself who do it, but it is sin living in me. 
quick question. When we, when we disobey God, God's law, who lives in us? Paul says, it is sin living in me. Verse 18, for I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want to do, it is no longer I who do it, but who? It is sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work, verse 21. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind. Watch your mind, my brother. Watch your mind, my sister. The war. The battle is won, is won or lost in your mind, in my mind. Paul says, verse 23, I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind, making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Who will rescue Paul? Who will rescue us from this situation? Verse 25. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. It is Christ living in us. It is Christ in us that gives us the victory. Not sin living in us. Did you catch that? When Paul sins, he says it is sin living in him. On the contrary, if we have Jesus living in us, that is how we can produce fruit. That's why Jesus said, abide in me and I in you, for without me you can do nothing, nada, zilch. You cannot do anything without Jesus, and you cannot do... Hey, we try, and Pam pointed that out. I forgot to put it in my sermon. We think of Jesus, our big brother. We think of Jesus there. Jesus said, I'll send you the comforter. I'll send you the helper. Jesus is in us through his spirit. You don't have to think of Jesus there. Jesus is in you through the Holy Spirit. I know I'm speaking new things to us, to our Adventist fellows, but that's true. So much true. We don't hear this talk a lot among us. This is what Pastor Dennis Smith says about this experience. When a Christian experiences this intense struggle with sin in his life, Satan comes along and tells him or her that he is even a Christian. He's not even a Christian. The truth is that this struggle is evidence 
that one is a Christian. Non-Christians don't have this kind of struggle with sin. It is because the Christian has accepted Christ and it takes sin problems seriously that they have this struggle. Have you ever questioned yourself? Am I even a Christian? I know I have. If this thought comes to your mind, it is important to realize that it is your heart's desire to obey God that gives evidence of the Spirit's presence in your life, and that's why you have this struggle. It is because of His Spirit dwelling in you that you are having such a struggle. And if you struggle with sin and you fail, you have to remember this, that Jesus is still your advocate with the Father. John, 1 John 2, 1. When you fail and sin, when you fall into sin, the Spirit convicts you of your wrong ways and you confess your sin. In John, 1 John 1, 9, John says, immediately you are forgiven. The problem the struggling Christian has is not that he or she doesn't want to obey God. The problem is that they don't know how to live a consistently obedient life. That's what this sermon series is all about. And I'm glad I see a lot of young folks here. I remember after getting baptized and having this particular struggle. How do I keep myself now away from sin? I didn't know. I wish I knew that when I was 15, when I was baptized. I didn't. The problem the struggling Christian has is not that he or she doesn't want to obey God. The problem is that they don't know how to live a, consist a consistently obedient life. That's what we're going to study about. We will learn how to live free from temptation and sin, and we will learn how to be fruitful, be full of the fruit of the Spirit, which will glorify God and will attract others to Him. That's how we're going to do evangelism. That's how evangelism happened in the early church. I'm passionate and fired up about this. This series, based on this book, Spirit, Baptism, and Abiding in Christ, will help us find the simple yet elusive truth of how to let Jesus live His life in us. When this truth is discovered... There will no longer be a struggle with temptation. The only struggle will be to decide if you want Jesus to give you victory over that particular sin. You will still have a free will. You can still choose. But once that decision is made, the victory will be gained through Jesus living His righteousness in your life. It will be Jesus and only Jesus. And you may be thinking, what? Can that be true, Pastor Marius? Well, John says, as many as received him, to them gave him power to become sons of God. The word power, I highlighted that word red there, comes from the Greek word 
dunamis, which we translate in English with dynamite. The problem is that many or most Christians don't know how to let God manifest His dynamite power in their lives for victory over temptation and sin. Here is what you can take home. Here is what you can take home today. The first step in experiencing the complete deliverance Jesus wants you to have over sin is to recognize that you have no power within yourself to obtain victory. This may be new to you, but I'm here to tell you that you have no power within yourself to obtain victory. You must realize that you are absolutely helpless when it comes to overcoming temptations in your life. Hold on. That's not the end. That would be depressive if I would stop right there. That natural-born sinful nature is so strong in you that its power will make you slave to it unless, unless the power of God delivers you from this slavery. Here is what we do, what we've been doing. It comes naturally to us as Christians, but it's not working. And you know, doing the same thing over and over again is called insanity. We got to get out of insanity. This is what we do. The natural response of every Christian to God's commands is to put forth effort. To put forth every effort she or he has and add that with God's help and try to obey. In other words, they put their best efforts and ask God to add to their efforts. What I want you to realize today is that your striving to obey will cause you to fail every time. 100%. You can't do it on your own. You do not have any new to obey, no matter how hard you try. You don't have any new to obey, even when you think you can with God's added power, you still can't. You must realize that you can do absolutely nothing to live an obedient life as far as putting off efforts. This is because of the extremely powerful, sinful nature that resides in you. Here is what you and I need to do. Here is what you and I get from this sermon in learning how to live free and fruitful. Instead of struggling with temptation, you must depend 100% on Christ for victory. In this series of sermons, Free and Fruitful, I will be emphasizing very strongly the fact that our victory over temptation and sin comes only as we allow Christ to live His life in us. Our victory does not come by struggling and fighting harder with temptation and sin. No, our victory comes when we let Christ live in 
in you when you let Christ live in when I let Christ live in me. You know, huh, that's not on my script, but I, I got to think this. Look at the, the vine and the branch. What does the branch do to produce fruit? Nothing. It does nothing. One thing it is required, though, of the branch, and that is to stay connected. And not only to stay connected, have you not seen dead branches? Oh, yeah, I did. They do not allow the sap, the life, to come within them. I got to think about this now. That's fascinating. And as the life comes in them, they produce fruit. My friends, as we overcome our sinful nature's effort to manifest sinful desires, we will develop love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. As Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. What is the glory of the Lord? His character, right? Who revealed His character on earth? Who revealed God's character on earth? Jesus. So as we are beholding the character of Jesus, we are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. In other words, from step-by-step character development. How? By our own efforts? No. We are transformed, Paul says, just as by the Spirit of the Lord... By the Holy Spirit. My friends, is through Christ living in us through the Holy Spirit that we are moment by moment, day by day, changed into Christ's image. Every temptation we overcome by allowing Christ to manifest Himself in whatever that area of life will lead us to be changed into the image of Christ in that area of our life. That's why Paul writes that we are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. I can testify that from my own experience. I've tried that for many years. I, I spoke with my, my fellow uh, 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 friends, brothers and sisters in our Holy Spirit groups that I used to have lists. I used to, man, it's, it's hard work and it's unsuccessful hard work. Since the power of our sinful nature is overcome by Christ living in us, beginning next Sabbath, next sermon, we will consider what Christ has done to break the power of this sinful nature and we'll look Literally, we'll look at step-by-step instruction how we too can live like Christ. 
when he lives in us through his spirit. I'm so glad you joined us today to learn how you can live free and fruitful. A free and fruitful life. And I know you can do it. In the meantime, surrender daily your struggles at the foot of the cross. And ask daily to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Living in the Spirit has been a wonderful, wonderful experience for me and Pam. And for all those who have been part of the Holy Spirit small groups. Pam and I would like to extend an invitation again. And remember, this is not a promotion. We can't and we don't promote the Holy Spirit. We can only invite. If you'd like to join us in this experience, we will start a new Holy Spirit small group in about two weeks later this month. If you're interested... Feel free to contact us and we'll give you the book. It will be an only online, only Zoom meeting. If you initially wanted to be part of that and you have the book, let us know of your intentions too to become part of this group. And I pray that God will bless us all with a new experience in Christ Jesus our Lord this year, this decade, until he comes again. Amen.